Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember the story story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Drum roll, please. Brrr. It's only Podclark's episode 16. Fireworks everywhere. Excitement. 16, who'd have thought it? Well, here we go. It's uh, recording time again, and we are back in the glorious pleasance... Pleasance? <laughs> pleasant present. <laughs> we are back in the pleasantly glorious presence of Tom Clark and Stephen Clark. So, Stephen, tell us what your story is. Most formal. Oh, well, I've got lots of uh, snippets for you tonight. A couple of versions ago, or episodes ago, we had Rosie Clark uh, joining us, I remember, who is my older sister. And still is. Well, still is my dear. My dear. Oh, <laughs> my dear old sister. That is my idea. Anyway, uh, just I thought I would say, I thought at the beginning of this podcast I'd talk a little about David, my older brother. And for that I need to explain that we are four children in my family, Christine, Rosemary, David and Stephen, all, aka Shti, uh, in that order. I'm the youngest of four and David is my older brother, four years older than me. And what is interesting about him because usually I start these podcasts with a little bit about something somebody from my family. And when David was 19, the most interesting thing about him at that age was he went across the Sahara Desert in a Land Rover. And it was the most amazing experience. And he said once that um, the tracks were very faint. And if you wandered off the track, it was sometimes very difficult to get back on because the wind blew the sand over. The, only you had wandered off. And your track was very light. If you turned around, you couldn't really see which direction to go back. And they did that once and nearly got lost. So very exciting, my brother David. But he um, lives in Wales. Uh, and on that journey, I must just tell you this, actually, across the Sahara Desert, he learned how to shower in a mug of water. <laughs> Shrink yourself down to the size of a tea bag makes it a lot easier. Make the mug really massive also makes it a lot easier. And the spoon helps. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, David uh, is a very, very good-natured chap. When he was 25 or 6, I think, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and has been merrily injecting himself with insulin every day for probably more than 40 years. And I've never heard him once complain about that. He just takes it in his stride. And, he, you know, somebody once asked him, how much has diabetes affected the way you live your life? And he said, oh, hardly at all, he said, which hmm. I think is an amazing, amazing testament. And at age 66 now, he's still the primary carer for two foster boys. How about that? So anyway, just a bit of a call out, shout out to Dave Clark, who's my Good older old brother. Good old boy. Yeah. And he, uh, he, Christine and Rosemary, made up my siblings when I was growing up and obviously contributed a lot to who I am. So I don't know if you remember last time we were, well, last time we were talking about cars, actually, weren't we? The time before last, episode 14, I just sort of arrived back from the Philippines and then the Sudan and was wondering what to do with my life. And I decided to take a job with this group called Christian Outreach. Do you have to say it that way every time? <laughs> that's how, that's part of the brand. Well, I prefer to, but it just um, <laughs> sounds weird. I mean, it sounds a bit dire, but it's not quite what it seems. It was an organisation that was just 
set up to respond to emergency refugee uh, situations and, and I've been offered a job up in Royal Leamington Spa. So this episode starts off with us with me driving, I'm sure you can guess what car, a, a Morris, Morris Minor. Minor. Eight, 10 out of 10, up to Royal hey. <laughs> two. Was it a split screen? That's the question. They were all mm. split screens. They were all wow. split screens. Yeah. They didn't know how to manufacture the curved window, window windscreen, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that was very exciting. I set off, arrived. Um, it wasn't quite like going to Aberdeen in the other episodes that we discussed it. But um, when I arrived in Leamington, I, I took lodgings with Miss Cox. Now, Miss Cox was 82 and um, she was pretty much stone deaf. And she lived in half of a bungalow and the other half was occupied by Mrs Billingshurst. And <laughs> Mrs Mrs Billingshurst was completely blind. So the two of them were often seen wandering, uh, wandering around <laughs> Leamington, <laughs> Le- Leamington Spa arm in arm because uh, Mrs Billingshurst was Miss Cox's ears and Miss Cox was Mrs Billingshurst's eyes and they got on famously together. That's so nice. So were they? Were they? Was it like a shared house, or was no, it like just well, neighbours? They were neighbours, really. But mm, um, mm. the other thing about Miss Cox was that she she used to granny sit for people that were younger than her. She had one one person she went to look after who was seventy two, and so she this chap was ten years younger than her. But when the, his family wanted to, he couldn't be left on his own. So when his family used to go out for a meal or something, she'd go over and and and. and and look after him and he was 10 years mm. younger than her she was great Miss mm. Cox although I would float that that is the actual definition of babysitting is looking after someone who's younger than you no no he said granny sitting no I know but she was looking after someone who's younger than her <laughs> so it was actually babysitting oh I see <laughs> well it was a very crotchety old baby that's old like... baby <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a very confusing conversation but thanks for that <laughs> what we do best <clears throat> i wondered i mean leamington Spa is obviously the place where you both grew up and i wondered what sort of impression it's left you with as a town mm, yeah interesting, interesting. it's cut it's <laughs> this is how how we try not to be too rude about somewhere that some people live in and i'm sure really like i don't <laughs> and actually that's setting it up to be more negative than i want it to be but mm. i don't i don't have many um iconic memories of it having much of a um, identity is the word I'm mm. looking for. Mm. I think it fe- it felt quite not nondescript. Not, yeah, not boring and not I wouldn't even say bland, but not exciting. Maybe. Yeah, I would completely agree. I had a great time growing up there, and there's you know lots of like lots of fun things and events and you know. But I think especially now living. And knowing loads more people and coming from different bits of the world, I notice people's strong like identity to where mm. they grew up, which mm. I just don't feel at all. No. And I think that's a combination of the fact that, you know, partly because you don't live there anymore, so it's not like I haven't been back there for, mm-hmm. I mean, Eight. what, 12 years, maybe? <laughs> Gosh. So, yeah. it's, so, that, so that's part of it. But it is also just like... Yeah, it, exactly as you said, Tommy. It doesn't. It doesn't really have anything that kind of you're like. Yes, this is mm. where I'm from, and this is what makes it the place. Mm. It's got lovely gardens. 
It does have lovely what... gardens. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's got a lot going for it, but I, I sort of thought you might say that. Um, and what I was going to say was that if you thought that was true, then you should have been there in 1985, because uh, it was it was quite a run downtown in 1985. Mm. It was the the M40 hadn't been built, so it was a little bit off the beaten track. Um, yeah, it must have changed. So that's so yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm just sort of suddenly thinking about that and going, oh yeah, wow, it must have changed so much. And also with the train line linked to London, or was that already there? It was upgraded. The, the line was there, but it, it it was later on that it became sort of. A, a, I mean, I think you can get to London in an hour and a quarter on the fastest train yeah. now. So, I mean, it, it was... Up, but, I mean, really, everybody was asleep when we arrived there. And uh, <laughs> so, I, I I mean, I went ahead because we weren't yet married. Uh, this was about, I don't know, March or April or something. Oh, April the 1st. Yeah, that's right. I started working for Christian Outreach on April the 1st, <laughs> which, must count, which must count for something. Did you uh, get any first day April Fool's jokes? Can't remember. Yeah. I would be... I would be, up and be like, who are you? Oh, you I don't would, have a job here. What are you talking about? <laughs> I would have been totally fair game, I tell you. My, uh, <laughs> that stage of life but anyway um so I and Mutz was back down in, in Surrey and uh we were waiting to get married in September so I started work and my my job really was to help sort of run and set up projects around the world to help uh, refugees and this group had grown up out of the Vietnam War as you probably remember from previous es- es- escapades episodes um <laughs> Or escapades. Every episode is an escapade. <laughs> Everyone is. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Um, and you know, and I'd been to visit the Thai-Cambodian border where there were two hundred fifty thousand Cambodian refugees, and I was recruited to help run the program in Sudan with with people who'd come over from Eritrea, and so it was like the start. The next five years, because this was 1985, and Jay, I think you were born in 1990. So there was a five-year period where I've sort of, Max and I both think of it as a sort of time when we travelled quite a lot. Um, and actually, if you ask Mats now, she says that she imagined we at one stage would go and work overseas. So she mm. was sort of thinking, what could I do if she went and got a job somewhere overseas? And she was thinking, well, there's there's two things that would be useful. It would being a nurse would be useful everywhere in the world and being a, a, an administrator would be useful. Um, but I think you'd have to ask her, but I think she thought the nursing thing might be uh, not quite her cup of tea. So she signed up for a, for a secretarial course in, uh, in Leamington just to prepare herself for going, which we never did, in fact. But of course, right I never to this... knew that was the reason. No, yeah. me neither. And right, so to this very, right to this very day, as we speak, that, that skill of shorthand, not so much now, of course, but typing particularly, however mm-hmm. words with it, has, has, has fared her and us all very well. And, but it's uh, so funny how much sense this makes to me, much like forward planning about that. Yeah. Like thinking about what should I do that will make sense in a few, like, I don't know, it's just so much. <laughs> it is. And, and, you know, we're all better off because of it. No mm. doubt about it. The strongest link, not if you least, remember. Not least for when she was using her epic typing skills to type up bits of homework that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would have taken me ages to type up. I didn't or know she did that. Offering us our first jobs in fi- helping file stuff that she needed filing at work or something. Oh, yeah. Down in the yeah. cellar, I was interested. It's endless. I'm glad I wasn't putting a catheter in somebody. No. <laughs> Which is obviously the alternative. I think that's possibly what put her off in the first place. But yeah, good. It's good that some people can. 
So I we this group um, moved into the headquarters of this organisation was a was a tin hut um, that had been built in nineteen ten. It was sort of made of corrugated tin, um, and we uh, refurbished it. And it was big enough to get about three desks in. And then there was a storage area at the end, and then there was a little kitchenette thing. So, but it was a very modest headquarters. If you think of charity headquarters that you might have visited, this was extremely modest. Um, and we had a we had a typist there actually called Ruth. And um, when we published a newsletter, uh, she, it was a, it was an A five format newsletter, and she'd have all these articles, and they'd need to fit on the page. So she would type them out and try and get it to fit around a photograph to fit on an A5 page. And if it, if it, mm-hmm. if it didn't fit, um, it would have to be edited and she'd type it out again. And if there was still a, a line off, she'd be edited. And So, I mean, that's how we word processed, if you can believe yeah. it. And she, mm-hmm. typed, she typed everything about three or four times, I think, to, uh, to get it. But then we had a, we had a computer arrive. Uh, so the director was Martin and uh, I'm... Been, Full credit to him, he was sort of head of the game, really, because um, personal cu- computers were very, very early stage. This is 1985. And um, we had this thing called a Wren Prism uh, that, that uh, we were using. And um, I looked this up on the internet before this podcast to see what it had to say about this Wren Prism. And it was a, a 20 megabyte hard drive. Um, I think. But basically they called it a luggable computer. I've never heard that term before. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was bef- it was before it was portable and it weighed, tw- it weighed 12 kilos, which is like a sort of oh, he- he- heavier than a Ryanair hand luggage suitcase and stuff. So. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, luggable does give the impression that it's definitely not portable, but it is movable. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It's not what, underselling it. What a great term. So I thought I'd just tell you about one of the things we got up to early uh, in my time there because uh, all these refugees coming into Sudan and although Sudan is hot in the day it can be quite cold at night and um, a lot of of people were either undernourished or very malnourished and so you need to be kept warm so there was a need for warmth and blankets. Now this was a time when a lot of people were changing over from blankets to uh, duvets so there were loads of spare blankets kicking around because nobody wants to throw a blanket out because uh, it's a, such a nice thing. But what do you do with a blanket if you have got a duvet? So here's an idea. Why don't you send it to Christian Outreach and they'll pack it up <laughs> and send it off to Sudan. So this was, I was masterminding this uh, project. So we worked out that um, if, you, if you folded blankets up and packed them with string, bundled them up with string in groups of 10, that was just big, you know, heavy enough to lift without being too heavy. So we publicised this um, all around the area and people began to send us uh, bundles of 10 blankets and they would, would come from all over the place. And um, so what we'd do then is, is order a 20-foot shipping container and this used to come on the back of a truck outside the tin hut and you had, I think it was just two hours to load it and then it drove off. So whatever wasn't in it or full or empty, it was that was your time to load it. It might have been three. I can't remember. Um, but of course, you can imagine there was a huge tear around. And uh, so we packed them. And, and if you can imagine the, the double doors of a shipping container open floor to ceiling. And so it's quite difficult 
to fill it all up because they all fall out of the top. So mm. what you have what you have to do is jam them so they're hard against the ceiling and uh, and build them forward row by row until you've got a sort of a wall that creeps coming forward yeah. inside. And uh, it's very hot work, I can tell you. So anyway, we sent off one of these containers and off it went. Fantastic. Judy arrived in, in Sudan and it was a great success and, and probably a lifesaver. Probably quite hard to unpack with them all jammed in up to the ceiling as well. But, you know, it wasn't your problem at that point. <laughs> and, and even hotter work as 40 degrees <laughs> yeah. or 40 yeah. to 42 degrees. But, um, but as the project sort of developed and it got more known, we suddenly began to get lots and lots of these things coming. And, and it became sort of almost unmanageable, particularly because people, um, we decided to keep it very, very clear that it was just blankets. And in fact, Later on, we decided to include T-shirts as well, because you can't go wrong. Instructions, blankets folded in bundles of 10 and T-shirts. What could possibly go wrong? Well, quite often we got little vans arriving and a person would, would back up to the tin hut and throw it in the doors with great pride and joy. And the first thing that would fall out was a tricycle um, or, you know, and basically people used it as an excuse to get rid of stuff they didn't like really want. Mm. Oh. And you find all sorts of things. Um, funny. And in fact, I mean, one of the funniest things was the slogans on the T-shirts um, that came out, because you get everything from sort of the Oxford Debating Society to, you know, a Guinness or something. And the one that won our... We used to have a little sort of competition to get the best, <laughs> the best phrase that was, was the most entertaining. And the one that won overall um, was a bright red, yellow... A bright yellow T-shirt that had... Sun your buns in the Bahamas, <laughs> which is quite funny, really. Did you keep that one for yourself, or did you send it on? We stuck it on the wall for quite a long time, but we, oh, felt, it, we nice. felt, felt it had been donated, so it had to be forwarded. <laughs> but uh, somebody rang up um, after we'd emptied one of these vans one time in a great tiswell, saying, "Oh my goodness," she said, "It seems as if my husband put my ball gown in the van last night. Have you found it?" <laughs> <laughs> but, oh um, no! We hadn't. I'm sure it wasn't in the van because we'd definitely have noticed a ball gown. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know. But the idea that somebody would have sent a ball gown to a collection for anyway, and then eventually we couldn't really uh, manage it all. So I contacted TNT, who had a depot in Wellingborough, which wasn't so very far away, and said, "Look, we've got all these." bundles of blankets around the country that need to come to Leamington. Is there anything you can do to help us? And it, it I mean, this is, uh, the director Martin uh, taught me all I know about asking people to help. And this is a very good example how sometimes if you just hit the right moment, the right person at the right time, um, anything is possible. And mm. TNT took a look at this, saw the situation in Sudan, matched up what we were doing as being a good idea and said, right, okay, we'll treat every bundle of 10 blankets as an express parcel and it will be free of charge. And for, huh. for, wow. for, for one month, I think it was, uh, anywhere in the United Kingdom can take a, I can ring up TNT, say I've got this blankets for Leamington and they'll get a, 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 um, a barcoded sort of slip to, to stick on it and our van will come pick it up and deliver it to Leamington. And that's what happened. And we got absolutely besieged by, uh, I think we sent seven or eight container loads in the end. Amazing. To, wow. to, um, but it was a very exciting time because I thought, I, what I learned from that is, and it's a lesson that stood me well in life, is that almost anything is possible 
if somebody decides they want to make it possible. So mm. when you're at check-in and somebody says you can't take that or you've got to go here and go to that, there's a way of, of them saying the opposite if they choose to do that. Now, obviously, they can't do that all the time. But if the, if, if, if the argument is good or the cause is right. Mm. So how did you get the word out about the blankets to the general public? Was that just charity Just put networks? a little update on Twitter. <laughs> in 1985 more like you spoke to the local pigeon and asked it to go and tell all the other pigeons in the UK the local pigeon that doesn't go very far no we need an international pigeon anyway no the I think the answer was we had quite a lot of press release I mean we spend a lot of time trying to go, mm. get get it in the papers and occasionally you you got a national paper t- you know covering the story and then you got a lot of, of response Mm. Um, but as you will know, you know, media coverage brings its highs and its lows and its, its pluses and its minuses. Um, and for every person who says, or every 10 people who say, yeah, here's my blanket, bundle of blankets, there'll be one person who says, oh, you know, it's a waste of time, it's not worth it, you know, it, it's, a, it's their own fault, leave them to it kind of stuff and all, all that kind Wastes of Wastes their time writing you a letter to say so as well, I bet. Exactly, mm. exactly. <laughs> Mm. But I mean, just on that vein, there was one particular little um, or two things that happened in the same week when we were expecting a container to come. And uh, I'd got two. This is before or after the TNT deal. And one was um, a van load described to me as a van load in Norwich that needed to come to Leamington that week. And the other was one bundle of 10 in the vestry of a church in London. There's a big church in London. And I had to solve these two problems. And the um, the church in London doesn't come out of this at all well because they kept ringing up and saying, this bundle has got to go. It's, it's in our vestry, it's taking up space, it's got to go. And I said, well, look, we just need a few days to organise it. And they kept ringing back and they said, if, it, if, it won't, if it's not gone, it'll be disposed of. And uh, so anyway, I, I, we knew somebody had worked with us in the past and she lived in London and she took her bicycle and cycled it to this church and balanced the bundle of 10, ten uh, blankets on her bicycle and wheeled it back to her, 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 her house because um, the, this church wouldn't keep it. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. If you think of most churches, there's surely got to be a corner where you could put a bundle of blankets. Mm. That's one story. Set that against the Norwich... Um, uh, a bundle, a van load, where I'd been given a piece of paper with a telephone number and a name on it of somebody who lived in Norwich. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know him. I wasn't. I didn't even know where this paper had come from, but it had been said to me: "This person lives in Norwich. Maybe they can help." So I rang up this this guy and said, "Oh, um, you don't know me. I don't know you, but this is what we're doing." And it's been suggested to me that you might know somebody or find a way of being able to to help us get this van load back to Leamington before the container comes on Friday, this being Monday. And he said, hmm, the problem is, he said, I'm travelling overseas on Thursday, he said, so I'm a bit pressed for time. And he said, but wait a minute. No, he said, if I can move my meetings on Wednesday to Tuesday, I could drive a van on Wednesday, I could hire it on Tuesday night, drive it over on Wednesday, get it back to Norwich Wednesday night. And Norwich to Levington is not a 
quick journey. No. It's um, It's got to be three hours, I think, probably. Get it back to the higher place, drop the keys off and be ready to travel on Thursday morning. He said, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on one phone call, he just completely reorganised his schedule because he could see the value in it and changed it just to... And he wouldn't take a penny, not a penny, for the hire or for the fuel or for his time or for anything. And I was I was really struck then and remain struck about the whole kind of um, uh, response. And I might have said this before on the podcast that that whole charity world life that I led, maybe there's two types of people, people who, who try to help when they're asked and people who try not to help when they're asked. And uh, my appeal to the dear, lesson, dear listener, dear listener... <laughs> is to be one of those people who tries to help when you're asked because it doesn't have to make a difference to somebody who's in a tight spot. And all that time while I was settling down, getting this project off, and if you imagine now that we're married and Mutz has moved to Leamington, and we're settling down in our new house. Uh, well, I say new, it was about 110 years old actually, but it was, and, it, and showing signs of wear. Because I, I know the, we had a survey to get a mortgage, and when we read the survey, it was like a the condemnation of the building to be demolished. It was so, so sort of deprecating about the whole building. And it said, it said the roof leaks, there's dry rot in the window, the floorboards are creaky. And the final thing, as if it was, a, you know, they said, as if this was the ultimate terror, it said the house is occupied by students. <laughs> as if that's got anything to do with the you know mm. whether anyway um in those days mortgages were very easy to come by uh, and we got a mortgage even on the basis of, of that report but there was a lot of work to do and so we set to it with Mutz signed up for this secretarial course uh, and went off and to learn um how to be an excellent typist she saw which way the wind was blowing and thought I'm going to be ready for that uh, if we go away, and we settled down to what became a very busy but exciting life in Royal Leamington Spa. Ooh, Ooh. so next go. week or next week, next month, <laughs> we do not do these weekly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll find out all that. I'm so I'm very very intrigued. I think we said this before to just hear a bit more about what you were doing while we were small because mm. because. It's obviously amazing to hear about what you did before we were around. But I think part of the reason why we kind of started this podcast was was knowing that knowing that there were bits of our world that we were kind of very vaguely aware of that you were going somewhere exciting, but not necessarily mm. knowing all of the dramas that were occurring. Mm. And comparing our memories of what we think happened as well to like the reality of it. Mm. Well, it'll be yeah. very funny. Reality, as in what I think happened, but of course every memory is fa- is fatally flawed. <laughs> yes, and I li- there's no I, such thing as the truth. I live in terror of somebody contacting us and saying it wasn't like that. I was there, and it wasn't like that. <laughs> yes, but but how do we know that their truth is the truth? Well, there you go. Yeah. So I was going to um, share something that we've been working on recently um, with the show that I'm doing that kind of felt like it fitted with what you were saying about. Um, your work with Christian Outreach or the beginning of that anyway. Um, and this is an idea that our DSM came up with, but there's a couple of us who are kind of working together to make sure it actually happens, which... DSM being... Deputy Stage Manager. Thank you very much. Non-theatre. Oh, yes, hours. of course. Um, and 
it's so we're going on a tour around the UK uh, that's going to last for about nine or ten months and we're moving every week so every single week the cast will be in a brand new venue uh, doing you know the same show but in a different space different you know different environment different everything and so this is an idea where on the Friday we give up two hours of our free time to kind of go and do some good wherever it is that mm. we are and what we're thinking is it's going to be like a sponsored walk in each uh, city or each kind of space um, with every kind of fourth week, maybe going and volunteering at like um, a shelter or a soup kitchen or kind wow. of something like that. What a great um, idea. Yeah. And we, we kind of um, had a sort of a bit of a pitching meeting today just to kind of make sure that it was making sense and that everybody was on board and the mm. company seem very on board and so we're sort of going to be spending the next couple of weeks making sure that we're raring to go yeah. um trying to raise yeah lots of as much money as possible to then give that to charities who work probably arts-based charities who work around the country in the different places that we go to locally to and, the, yeah 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 which kind of that's so exciting, feels quite exciting. It'll be so much fun as well. It'll make the tour... It'll, I bet it'll make you feel so much more connected to the places you go as well because I can imagine with zero experience of this <laughs> but, like, that being on tour is so... running around and, like, moving to this place, moving to that place that actually it probably is quite easy to not feel like you've seen the place or, like, I don't know, experienced it other than just done the show that you needed to do there. Maybe that's not true, but I imagine... Yeah, it's... well, that was the idea behind it was to mm. be... was to make sure that everybody kind of there was something regular that got you connected to the space and the place and to the people and to the company. So yeah, watch this space. And we were talking actually about um, uh, whether we walk 10,000 kilometres uh, across uh, 10 months to raise £10,000. No! And I was like, I think uh, I've heard this kind uh, of blurb before. before. Did somebody come up with that idea? Black. Well, we were talking about the needs to kind of make something kind yeah, of easily digestible actually. and accessible, and we were talking originally about twenty thousand pounds, and then I and then so and then I definitely was like, well, I That's feel like ten k for ten k has 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 happened before and it's worked before. So why mm. you know if we raise over that, great. Yeah, yeah, but ten k um, is still a massive target and 10K a really is a great good target. achievement. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's a fantastic idea to have a clear target because then you sort of, as we found out with ten k for Tom Clark, which features in a previous episode, dear listener, um, <laughs> that 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 you know having your target means you actually exceed it in the end. But um, yeah. we'd never have made it if we hadn't had the target for sure. So yeah, so great. we're calling it the Good Friday Project, and uh, ah. it's about yeah having having Good Fridays where we do good. That is so exciting. It warms my heart. Aww. Yeah, that's great. Great, 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 great. Well, that's about it from me. Excellent. Well, thanks for another riveting set of tales. And yeah, look forward to next time and hearing more about what, what next adventures you've got on. Which is episode 17. Whoa. Ooh, learning how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Left what, field. I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're all in a, in quite like a similar specific state of um, nonsensical nonsensicalness for <laughs> so sure. I, I'll just say it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye, 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 bye.